Good morning. The scripture reading is coming from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen. Amen. We've been going through a series on uh, First Peter, entitled Our Identity in, in Christ. Uh, we've come to the final chapter of um, First Peter, chapter 5. And so that lets us know that there's only about 10 to 15 more messages to go. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's only a few more messages to go, and so um, let us not grow weary. Let us not grow faint now. If the Lord uh, is faithful, and let us be faithful in bringing these series of messages home rightly. Amen. Amen. We've been on this idea, this theme of suffering, as, as Peter has uh, laid out for the saints there who are dispersed throughout Asia Minor. And as he moves out of um, that, that discourse on a suffering, he wants to address those who are leading the church in Asia Minor and how they are to lead in the midst of those people who are enduring much trial and persecution for the sake of the Lord. And with that in mind, let us pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we meditate upon this most important and encouraging and challenging word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. Indeed, your mercy endures forever. You are a faithful. And your faithfulness, Lord, is manifested in your mercies that are new every morning. And so we are thankful. We are thankful that you are with us, that you have promised to meet with us. You have promised to even to lift up our heads and renew our minds according to your word and the power of your spirit. And for that, we are thankful. We do pray now that you would indeed come. Come and bless your people. Come and encourage our hearts. Come again and renew our minds. Come, Holy Spirit, by your word, wash us and make us clean. Again, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, some of you might know, um, but I was licensed to the uh, gospel ministry in 1991. And I have been in the pastoral ministry in some form or fashion for over 20 of those years. And I've had the privilege, I've had the privilege of serving under and alongside um, some faithful and fruitful men of God. 
I have watched their lives on occasion and, and witnessed God's ups and downs in their lives and watched them and witnessed as they served God faithfully in the midst of trials in their own lives and in the church. The pastors that I had the privilege and honor of, of serving along with and serving under experienced experience their fair share of trials and, and troubles. And I watched them endure them, both inside the church and from outside the church. And through it all, as I watched them, I, I also watched them as in the midst of their troubles, and in the midst of their trials, watch them as they continued to minister to people, as they continued to serve people, as they endured their own issues. And I've learned, I've learned by observation and by my own experience that one of the great joys, and indeed one of the great challenges of pastoral ministry is walking with people through difficult and trying times. Tough times come to everyone. Tough times come to everyone. And the pastors and the elders are no exception, beloved. And yet the suffering Christians, and Christians suffer all the time, the suffering Christians are to be reminded. They are to be reminded according to the word that we are never to endure our suffering in a vacuum. We are never to endure our troubles in isolation. But whether we suffer from fallenness, or whether we suffer because of our own foolishness, or whether we suffer because of faithfulness, the saints must realize that we always, always, regardless of the cause and the root of our suffering, we always have the fellowship of the saints to lean upon. The church community, beloved, is a community of healing and hope. And this, I think, is what our brother, the apostle Peter, has been pressing upon the Christians as he writes to these dispersed elect ones throughout Asia Minor. He wanted them to realize, and I think he's pressing upon us as well, to remember that we suffer best when we suffer together. We suffer best when we suffer together. And at the head, at the forefront of this suffering community of saints are men that the Bible refers to as elders, overseers, 
shepherds and pastors. They lead in enduring hardship. They lead in offering encouragement. They lead in offering hope in the midst of hardships. These men, these men that the Lord has strategically placed in his community of believers, these men are often called shepherds. Shepherds in the Bible because God's people are often referred to as sheep. And this is what the Bible tells us over and over again in Psalm 100, in verse 3, right? The Bible says clearly, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. God's people are called sheep. They are his sheep. And God loves his people. And sheep are not easy to love, beloved. They are not the smartest animal in the barn. They are helpless. They are mindless. They are vulnerable. They are easily led astray. And God, knowing how prone our hearts are to wonder and the vulnerability of his people, then God, therefore, provides for them shepherds. Shepherds. Shepherds protect. Shepherds provide. Shepherds comfort. When the Apostle Paul was leaving Ephesus for the last time in Acts chapter 20, he gathered with the elders and shepherds there, and what did he encourage them to do? He encouraged them to protect the flock. He encouraged them to provide for the flock of God. And here in this epistle, as the Apostle Peter is wrapping up his words to these saints, this flock of God who is dispersed throughout Asia Minor, he gives a similar exhortation to the elders, to the shepherds, to the overseers there as well. Like Paul, Peter tells them, to shepherd the flock of God. In the midst of all that they are going through, he writes to the elders and he says, so I exhort the elders among you. The elders, he writes to the elders, the presbyters, literally is what it says, to the presbyters. He writes to the session, to the church that is facing this persecution. It is important, beloved, it is important for the, that the Spirit of the Lord would lead the Apostle Peter to, quote, unquote, exhort, to encourage, to beseech, to plead with the elders among the people. The elders among the people. There's some things that right away we should acknowledge. 
as we seek to understand and to make application of this passage in our own lives and in our own community. There's just some initial things that we need to understand, even from these first few words, as Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you. The first thing to realize is that there are elders among the people. There are elders among the people. There are leaders among the people. There, is, there are shepherds amongst the people. And there's not just one shepherd. But there are multiple shepherds. Or as we say today, there is a plurality of elders amongst the people. He is not just writing to one person in this sense, but he is writing to a plurality of leadership. And couple that with the reality that Peter considered himself one. He says, I exhort you elders, among the elders among you, as a fellow elder. Peter considered himself an elder. He considered himself an elder. He understood that he was called as a shepherd of the church there, probably the church in Jerusalem. He understood his role there as one who was to provide and protect and to comfort the, the people. And so he is writing to the elders from a position of eldership, encouraging them to fulfill the calling that he himself has received. And he was not just an elder. Okay, this is not simply one elder, one session writing to another session. He was not just an elder, but Peter was also an apostle. And so he says, I am an elder, but I'm not just any elder here. I'm an elder who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Okay, I was there. I've witnessed the passion of Christ. And not only have I witnessed the sufferings of Christ, I have witnessed those who have suffered on his account. I have witnessed the martyrdoms. I have seen the murders. I have seen the persecution. Peter says, I've been there. I know what you're going through. As many elders, beloved, often do. As the Lord often takes his leaders through the storms so that they might be able to guide others when they go through. Elders in this sense and in the Bible means two things, beloved. Okay? Even in this passage, as, you, as we'll see, particularly next week, you'll see. But elders mean two things. Okay? It means those who are older, and it means those who hold the office of teaching, preaching, and prayer. Oftentimes when the Bible speaks of being an elder, it just speaks of someone who is older. But then it also speaks at times of those who actually hold this office, this, this, this presbyter office. And the idea, the idea in the Bible, all things being equal, is that those who are older would also be those who are able. That's the idea. 
that those who are older will be also those who are able to teach and to preach and to exhort and to, and to get to the ministry of prayer, older and able. But unfortunately, beloved, that is not always the case. Unfortunately, there are those who are older who are not able. And unfortunately, sometimes there are those who are able but not older. But the idea here, I think what Peter is communicating in this passage as he writes to these gathered saints, is he is writing to those who are both older and who are able. Those who have been through and those who are able to lead others as well. And he writes to them an exhortation, right? An exhortation. He writes to them a call to action. That's what exhortation is. It's a call to action. And brother, you, brothers and sisters, you can listen to a whole sermon and never hear an exhortation. But exhortation is that aspect of preaching and teaching where you, the hearer, are called to action. You're exhorted to be something. You're exhorted to do something. It's like when you listen to the sermon, you're asking the question, what is it the preacher is calling you to do? This is what the, the preacher is called to do in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, right? The Bible says, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repuve, rebuke, and what? Exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is what the preacher is called to do, is to preach the word. Inherent in that word is a rebuke. Inherent in that word is a reproving. And inherent in there is an exhortation. But this is not only what the, what the preacher is called to do, beloved. This is also what we are called to do with one another. As we are living in community with each other, we are called to graciously, patiently, and lovingly exhort one another. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, but exhort one another every day. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be heartened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this is not just something that the preacher is called to do. As we are living in community and as we are struggling and seeking to be faithful and as we are speaking to one another, part of that encouragement, part of that conversation is that we are exhorting one another to carry on, to hold on, to be faithful. That's what we're called to do with one another. And this is what elders do. And this is what Peter did. He exhorts, he strongly encourages the elders amongst the people who are gathered where the church is. He encourages them as the Lord had encouraged him. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Guard the sheep. Protect the flock of 
God. And he does this, beloved, and reminding him, reminding them the nature of their calling. The nature of shepherding. He does this by reminding them that they have been called of God to perform this beloved and blessed task, and this task is to be done certain ways. Reminds them of three, I think, here. The first one is that shepherding is particular. Okay? Shepherding is particular. And not only is shepherding particular, but he also reminds them that shepherding has principles. And in the end, shepherding is really just pointing people to Jesus. But shepherding is particular. And you see this in, in verse 2, beloved. For the shepherd is called... And the elders are called to shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you. It's important to understand that the church belongs to God. These are his people, right? This is what the Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, that these are those who have been purchased by the blood of God. God purchased these. These are his people. These are his flock. And no matter where an elder or pastor is called, he must remember that these belong to God. This is God's flock. These are God's people. And the important and the operative word here, I think, beloved, to really meditate upon is the word among you. Shepherd. God's people that are among you. There are people, Peter says, to whom you are called. There are particular people to whom you are called. Now, Peter is not here. He is not here speaking directly to the elders in Ephesus. He is not here speaking directly to the elders in Corinth. He is not here speaking directly to the elders in Jerusalem. He is speaking to these elders as they are dispersed amongst the people in Asia Minor. Because each community of saints, beloved, are to establish and recognize their own elders. Now, I know, unfortunately, that many pastors, many pastors seek a national or an international platform, and that is because of the various ways of mass communications today. It is tempting, it is very tempting through the internet and social media streams to seek a to seek notoriety, and to seek popularity in the pastorate. It is tempting, and oftentimes people drag you into it. 
And I can't speak for others, beloved. But when I read this text, I am reminded that God hasn't called me to pastor the world. He has called me to East Point Church, as are the other elders who are gathered here in this community. Leaders and life in the scriptures, beloved, are local. Therefore, local community of believers. And you don't pastor people through podcasts. Listening to podcasts and going to conferences and watching videos on the internet and YouTube or Vimeo or wherever you do and you listen to all these preachers and you listen to all these teachers, that's fine and dandy, beloved. That's fine. But you and I need to realize the Bible here is pressing upon us to understand that John Piper and R.C. Sproul and Tony Evans of Vody Bacham, whoever else you listen to, are not charged with feeding your soul. That's the responsibility of the elders here at East Point Church. You can't text John Piper of Vody Bacham, but you can text Pastor Phil. You can text Elder BJ Albino if he'll answer. <laughs> and he will, beloved. You can't email Ruth and set up an appointment with Tony Evans. But you can email her and set up one with me. Just this past week, a dear brother sent me a text thanking me for something I said in a sermon several weeks ago. And he was still holding on to the truth. And I was reminded that he couldn't text Joel Osteen. He couldn't text Andy Stanley and expect a response. Because they don't know who he is. But he can the pastors and elders at his church. Because that's what God has called them to do. The church is universal, beloved. I understand that. The church is universal. It is found all over the world. Wherever there are people confessing the name of Jesus, there is the church, universal, worldwide flock of God. And yet, beloved, no one, I don't care how many people they have following them on Twitter, I don't care how popular they are on Instagram. No one 
is called to pastor the world. You are called to shepherd and lead the church and the flock of God that is among you. The flock in your care. The flock here entrusted to the elders at East Point Church. Shepherding is particular. You ought to shepherd the people that are amongst you. The ones to whom you are called. Every Sunday, every Sunday I stand here and preach and I look out upon the congregation and I look for faces. And I see faces here and I notice faces not. And I understand to some degree or another how each particular word and point may hit upon any particular person because of the weight that they are carrying. And beloved, this is not a conference. This is the preaching of a pastor to the people to whom he is called. Who knows you by name. Shepherd those sheep, that flock that is among you. It is particular. But it's not just particular, beloved. It, is all, it also has principles. For you see also in verse 2 that the elders are, quote, unquote, overseers, right? They are overseers. They are episcopos. That's what that means, bishops. Bishops, elders, pastors, shepherds. They are overseers. They are bishops. They are those who are charged by God with keeping watch over the flock. Keeping over watch over this flock of people in any particular location. And yet it is not left up to their own whims. God instructs on how that is to come about, beloved, how they are to the principles that are to guide our calling, and Peter gives three. He gives three principles. Number one, he says that you ought to do it willingly. Right? See that? You're doing willingly, not grudgingly. So the elders understand, beloved, that we serve not because we have to, but because we get to. We willingly engage in the task that the Lord has given to us. And we understand, at least we should understand the task and the burdens and the difficulties that come along with it. But it is a calling that we willingly and enthusiastically accept. Like Isaiah. when he was called of God. In Isaiah 6. Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
And what did Isaiah say? You ain't got to twist my arm. Here I am. Send me. Willingly. Why? Because, beloved, the, the elder and the pastor understand that there is to be a joy in the calling. As difficult as it may be, and as trying as he can anticipate it being, there must be a joy, an anticipation of some level of joy so that you are not twisting his arm to serve in this role as elder. Beloved, I have been, I have been waking out of my bed. I have been called back from vacations. Indeed, I've had to cut dinner short with my family on numerous occasions due to the calls and the cares of the sheep. But I learned very early on that if you don't do it willingly, there will be no joy. So we are called as elders, shepherds, to do this willingly, beloved. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult as we have found here at East Point Church. Sometimes it is difficult to find people who enthusiastically volunteer for ministry. You know, try to get people to serve in the nursery. Try to get people to serve as greeters. Try to get people to serve as various areas of the church with the audio and video and singing. And it's difficult to find enthusiastic volunteers. But that shouldn't be the case when it comes to the elders. Anybody who pursues this calling, beloved, they are to do it with enthusiasm. They are to do it willingly. They are to do it with a sense of joy. I am often asked to speak at various conferences, various churches around the country in the world. And Ruth will tell you that I turn down far more than I accept. But I never turn down this. I never turn down this pulpit. I never turn down preaching here. Because this I am sure that the Lord has called me to do is to feed this flock and to do it willingly. It says, if you are to pursue this willingly, not grudgingly, that you are to pursue this also eagerly, honestly, and not for personal wealth or gain. And unfortunately, again, beloved, the ministry in some quarters has become nothing more than a vehicle to self-achievement. 
The ministry has become nothing more than a means to selfish gain. And shepherds fleecing the flock of God is nothing new. While it might be rampant in our time, beloved, it has always been rampant. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 2 and 3, when God called Ezekiel to prophesy to the nation, what did he tell him to prophesy? Son of man, he says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. I was in Israel. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, and verse 15, warned, did he not, of those of false prophets who come in in sheep clothing, but who are actually ferocious and ravenous wolves seeking to devour the sheep. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 29, again, before Paul left, the church in Ephesus, he warned the elders in the Ephesus to be on guard for the wolves that would come in soon after he left to do what? To steal and to kill and to destroy the sheep of God. And faithful shepherds, faithful shepherds, beloved, put the needs and cares of the flock first. And therefore, anyone, anyone, beloved, who gets into the ministry to get rich, Pastor Phil, they need to reconsider their occupation. Some do live in luxury. They do. Some do live in luxury. Fancy cars, Luxurious homes, private jets. I'm still waiting on somebody to fly me first class. <laughs> sadly, sadly, beloved, most do this on the backs and banks of those who can barely make ends meet themselves. The biblical elder understands that fancy cars are not the goal. Faithfulness is. Luxury is not the aim of the ministry, but pointing people to Jesus is. And so we do this, beloved. We do this eagerly. We do this honestly not seeking selfish and individual gain. The third principle he gives is that we do this as an example. 
and not as one who lords it over or domineers the flock of God. Elders, elders should be examples for others to follow. They are not lords. We are not lords. We don't go around saying, do as I say and not as I do. But we are servants, fellow servants, fellow servants, seeking to follow Jesus Christ and calling others to do the same. Now, this is important. This is important to understand because imitation is not easy. Imitation is difficult. Being an example and having other people point to you is tough because you have flaws, because you have imperfections, because we all, to some degree, are hypocrites. Because some people make the point of claim that they don't go to church. And the reason they don't go to church is because there's too many hypocrites there. Well, no, duh. No one perfect here. No one perfect here, beloved. And you don't have to be perfect to be an elder. If you had to be perfect to be an elder, you wouldn't have any. There would be none. We all have faults. It is not that you don't have faults as an elder. The idea is that you are indeed still seeking to be faithful. You need to desire to lead in word and deed. You need to desire to lead in faith and repentance. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul is writing to this young elder. He was not older, but he was able. And he says, don't let nobody look down on you because of your youth. And indeed, they were, they would, beloved, because remember, elder carried the understanding of older and able. But sometimes the older are not able. And so here, here, Paul writes to one who is not older, but he is able. And he says, ah, Timothy, I know what they will do. They will try to look down on you because of your youth. But don't let them do that. But instead, you set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love, in faith, and purity. And until I come, this is what you do. You devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to preaching and teaching. Because that's what elders do. They feed the flock. You set the example of that. Preach the word, Timothy. You preach the word. You show them that God has called you. And even though you're not older, you are able. 
And you set an example. And so the elders' teaching is just that, beloved. It's a teaching that points them not to himself. But it's a a teaching that points people to Christ, right? That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, that we do not preach ourselves, but we preach ourselves as your servants, and we preach Christ. We preach him. So, beloved, it's important to understand that even as the elders serve and seek to serve as examples of of faithfulness, being a pastor and being an elder is not easy. It is not easy. You experience and you bear your own burdens, and then you also experience and bear the grief and pains of others as well. Being an example is not easy because our lives are flawed and an enemy is always and everywhere seeking to take leaders down. And so you pray for your elders. You pray for your pastors. You pray for your shepherds. Pray, pray that we would be willing Pray, pray that we would be eager. Pray that we would be willing and eager to set an example. Pray that we are trusting Christ and not in in ourselves. Pray that we would be seeking to be the kind of a person that you would want us to be. And also pray that you would be the kind of person that you would want to shepherd. Now what the Bible says in Hebrews? Chapter 13, verse 17. Indeed, that you ought to obey your elders, your leaders, submit to them, that I keep a watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And how are they to do this? Let them do this, beloved. Let them. You allow them to do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no, no advantage to you. Encourage your leaders. And be the sheep that you would want to shepherd. And I promise you that they will shepherd with joy. And that will be of great advantage to you. At your time of need. Amen. Shepherding has principles. Right. But shepherding also points people to Jesus. This is the ultimate goal beloved. In verse 4 the Bible says. And when the chief shepherd appears. Right. When the chief shepherd appears. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears. Beloved, no matter how faithful an elder or a pastor might be, his goal is the same as yours. He just wants to see Jesus. He wants Jesus to come. He wants to hear Jesus say, well done. He understands as much as you do or you should do, beloved, that 
He is not the standard Jesus is. And no matter how willing, and no matter how eager, and no matter how faithful an example, the elder understands and the pastors understand that we are just underlings. And in that sense, hirelings, beloved. We are under-shepherds. We are lieutenant shepherds. He, he is the chief shepherd. Why it should mean so much to you. Every time the Spirit of the Lord brings to your mind Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. In the midst of the flaws and in the midst of the frailties of those shepherds here in this house, you should always be reminded that the Lord is my shepherd. When we fail and when we fall, and we have and we will, you should always remember the Lord is my He is the shepherd because he is the one who died for you. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The church doesn't belong to the elders. The church belongs to Jesus. It belongs to Jesus because he is the one who gave his life for her. He, he is the shepherd who died for you. He is the shepherd, ultimately, who must give an account for you. Yes, the Bible says that the shepherds, the under-shepherds, must give an account for the sheep. But, beloved, ultimately, it is Jesus who has to give an account for you. He is the one who died. He is the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and find the one. He is that shepherd. He is the shepherd who knows every sheep by name and who promises never to lose a sheep. John chapter 10 and verse 27 and 28, right? Jesus says, my sheep, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Beloved, there are sheep who leave East Point Church. And we no longer have the privilege of shepherding them. But there are no sheep who leave the shepherding of Jesus. Wherever they are and whatever they do, the Lord is still their shepherd. And he must give an account for them. He is the shepherd who must give an account for us. He is the shepherd who promises never to leave us, nor forsake us, nor forget us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, he makes that promise, beloved. He is the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the shepherd who calls 
He is the shepherd who encourages. He is the shepherd who rewards. Who rewards his lieutenant shepherd. This is so important, man. What a great encouragement this is to shepherds this morning. And therefore, it should be of great encouragement to you. Verse 4, the Bible says that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The life of a pastor, beloved, and elder is a difficult one, as I've said. And it is filled with ups and downs. Sometimes the shine is as bright as the noonday sun. But sometimes it fades. It fades, beloved. One day the pastor or the elder is your best friend because he comforts you. And he encourages you. And the next day, he's your worst enemy. Because he seeks to speak the truth to you. And to challenge you to do better. One day, he preaches a great sermon. And then the next day, he's too long. And he's too boring. It just goes up and down. Up and down. And when you make a mistake... When you say the wrong thing or don't do what they think you should do, when you make a mistake, beloved, it's all you hear about. But when others make a mistake, it's the last thing they want to hear about. That's okay. Because he who is called knows the ups and the downs. And those who have entered into this calling know what they signed up for, beloved. And he knows, and the elder knows, and the pastor knows that the reward for faithfulness does not ultimately come in this life. But it comes when the good shepherd it comes when the great shepherd. It comes when the chief shepherd appears. It comes when Jesus appears. And so like you, the shepherd, the elder, the pastor is crying and praying, Lord Jesus, come. And in fact, beloved, if I'm honest, we're saying it more than you are. Lord, come. The burdens are heavy. Lord, come. The weight is great. Lord, come. That's what the church prays. Beloved, understand. That's what your shepherds pray. Lord, come. We pray it. One, so that we might see Jesus but also so that you might be made perfect in him. There is no greater joy, John says, than that he would see 
his children walking in the light. And there will be no greater joy for the pastors and the elders than on that day when all the flock of God is walking fully in the light and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is not a crown, this unfading crown, this unfading crown of glory that it says that will be sowed upon the elders. It is not something that the elders will revel in. It is something that the elders will immediately throw down at the feet of Jesus and say that he alone is worthy. We were just under shepherds. We were just lieutenants. We were in your service. And so we pray, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus, fulfill your calling in the life of these, your leaders, come, fulfill your calling in the lives of your sheep, come, come, the bishop and the shepherd and overseer of our souls, come, Lord Jesus, come.